In the beginning, now we could spend the whole evening on this, and I've taught a lot on this before, so let me just see if you remember. God is, is what? Does anyone know? Plural, Elohim. God is plural, Elohim. Created is singular. We have the Trinity right there in verse 1. We see also that um, there is a beginning, and God is not a part of it. God creates the beginning. So if there is a beginning, that means the beginning of time, so God creates time. So let's just get rid of some false teaching right out of the gate. Open theists are, they're not even Christians, but they call themselves Christians. They don't believe that God knows the future. They believe he reacts to the future. They don't believe that God um, is, you know, has elected or foreordained what comes to pass. They don't believe that God is above time. We understand that God is above time. He transcends time. He sees all of time in one moment. He knows the past from the future all in one second. To him, one day is a thousand years, right? He created time. For an open theist, though, God is in time. God is constrained by time, right? And that's a, an ancient pagan belief that time is eternal and cyclical and that the gods are wrapped up inside of it. But we can see right here that God creates in the beginning, right? So there is a start to human history. And if God is there and he is creating time, we have our first eschatology lesson. And what is that? That the future belongs to the Lord, right? That he is sovereign. He is providential. He sustains all of this linear time which moves forth from that particular point. Amen? All right. Um, We also see here that God is self-existent. That means... As uh, I tried to explain to one of my family members once, um, no, nothing created God. Right? He is uncreated. He is self-existent. He is the I am, that I am. Right? That is a statement of eternal self-existence. I am, I exist. I am that I am. Eternal, self-existent one. Okay? We see also that the creation comes out of what? Is he working with anything? Does he have clay that he's molding? Or is it out of nothing? It's out of nothing. The uh, technical term for that is what? Ex nihilo. Y'all are some scholars in here. All right. So modern pagan scientists, they believe that everything that is now evolved from something earlier, right? And where did that evolve from? Something else. And where did that evolve from? Something else. Where did life come from? You know, panspermia. You've heard that theory? Aliens seeded it. Where did the aliens come from? Crystals, on the backs of crystals. You've perhaps heard that theory as well. Where did the crystals come from? You see, for, a, for an evolutionist, the creation is eternal. It just is always is. It's always evolving. It's always cycling from chaos to order. Chaos to order. This is precisely what ancient pagans taught. They believed in and read every single one of their origin myths. They always begin with what? A watery chaos. A swirling and a chaos. And out of that chaos, there's a struggle and there's a battle between these personal mythological beings. And, you know, the Nile is formed. Every single one of them, they believe that material, that matter, is eternal. So... 
here we see that there is the creation world, there is the creation, and then there is also the creator. What's that? What mathematical number do we use to describe that? Creation plus creator. There's two, okay? For pagans, there's always one, right? And this is essentially the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet, to be honest with you. Um, you, either have, you either believe in one-ism or two-ism. You either believe in one-ism or two-ism. Um, New Age, guess what it is? One-ism. Mother Earth-ism, one-ism. Gaia, one-ism. Wicca, one-ism. Right? All of these things. Um, uh, Buddhist monks trying to be one with the Force. Right? Through various techniques. One-ism. Right? Star Wars. One-ism. Right? The yin-yang. One. Right? There's a dark side and a light side. But it's one. Right? In Christianity, there's two. There's God and there's His creation. And that is incredibly important for building a civilization. You do not get the Western civilization and all that we enjoy without that right there, too. Now, it may be hard for you to understand how that is, but philosophically, these ideas have consequences. And the West is formed right out of that particular. That's the foundation of our belief system. All right? um, so matter is not um, uh, eternal, right? And so that is going to attack uh, pantheism, the New Age, right? modern pagan science, scientism, all of those various things. <clears throat> it, because God is plural and created is singular, what religions does that contradict? Elohim, plural, created, singular. That's to distinguish between the Muslim God, who is not a tri-unity, but is a unity, just one. Right? <clears throat> and it's also to distinguish between what modern Jews believe. Um, of course, ancient Jews didn't believe that, but modern Jews have apostatized. All right. if, if you go to a therapist who doesn't have all of these categories in their mind, they don't have creator, creation, beginning of time, to God and creation, the triune God, creating the heavens and the earth sovereignly, providentially, sustaining them over all of them. If you go to a therapist who doesn't have that worldview, downstream from their false worldview is going to be what? Falsehood. Now, they're going to stumble on some things here and there that are true. No one's perfectly consistent. But what we want to do is not send our children to pagan therapists. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So you want to send your kid to someone who at least has the beginning of knowledge, right? You don't want to send your kid to pagan educators because students become like their teachers. That's the whole point of teaching, right? You don't, want to, you don't need to fawn over um, a secular liberal arts degree. If your kid gets into Harvard, please tear up the letter. Why would you send your child to hell or to the ministers of hell? Why would you do that? For what? Right? For esteem, for a student loan. Don't do it. Don't sell your soul to the devil. Right? They don't even have verse 1. Okay? They don't even have verse 1 of the Bible. 
much less all of the things that flow from it. <clears throat> now, let me ask you this. Can modern science account for this particular moment in time? Can we turn to a science for enlightenment on this particular moment? No, Jordan's saying no. Why not? It's unobservable. Science, we're supposed to use our observation. You can't see it through a telescope, can't see it through a microscope. Perhaps we can philosophically deduce it with our own reason. Oh, we can't even really do that. It has to be revealed to us, and it has to be revealed to us by the one who is there. Now, if he didn't want to tell us, he didn't have to tell us, right? But he told us. If we don't have this, we have no information about the creation. Science, when it gets into these origin stories and it gets into this, science is doing what? At that point, science is doing theology, religion, philosophy, right? And obviously, they cannot be trusted. What else do we learn here? We learn that man is not the center of all things, so out with humanism, right? Um, We also believe that the creation from the very beginning is very personal. It's called cosmic personalism. To be rejected is cosmic impersonalism. So God is there. He is in charge. He is creating. So what are we getting rid of? The idea of chance, fate, randomness, natural selection, right? They can't get away from it. They still have to use the word selection. So biblically, God is related in some way to everything in this world. There's nothing that's impersonal. So the amount of money you have in your bank account right now is what? It's, yeah, but let's say it's personal. There's a personal aspect to it. You see what I mean? It's not just the, the, the amount that you by random chance have, okay? And some of you have a lot, okay? Look, you know, Jordan, you know. <laughs> you don't want to brag or anything, but, you know, that's personal. God's blessing you. And, and he's actually given you laws. He's personally given you laws. Yeah, he, he's just joking, Meredith. <laughs> he's personally given you laws about how you're supposed to manage all of that. And he's even told you that's all mine, right? Um, you're a steward now to use that for these particular purposes. It's all personal. What are some things out in the world that we might think are not personal? Can you think of anything? What about math? It's personal. It's personal. What about the markets? Nick, this one's for you. What about the markets? You're a free market man, right? It seems impersonal. Well, these days it seems like a lot of persons are involved, right? A lot of powerful persons are heavily involved. Um, but we know ultimately it's one per- it's God, right? Three in one, who is in control of all the markets, So we might say, look, we need to free the markets. Sure, free them from the bureaucrats, free them from the bad people, but you can't free them from Jesus, right? You can't free them from Jesus. Cause and effect. You hit a billiard ball, right, on a pool table. Personal. It's all personal. We we reject the idea of cosmic impersonalism. We believe that all things are personal, right? Why would the world want to believe in cosmic impersonalism? Why would they want to believe in natural selection, randomness, cause and effect? Well, because they want to sleep around, right? It's a convenient myth. Sure, it's a convenient myth. 
The creation is wholly personal. And let's be even more specific. What is a more specific way of saying it's personal? You will make me so proud if you can answer this question. It's personal, it's relational, but even more specific than that, it's a subcategory of relational. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, there's accountability because there's law, and there's law because there's, yes, it's always the right answer. It's covenant. (laughs) Yeah, it's accountable because there's law, and there's law because there's covenant. So their personal relationship is covenantal. It's ordered. There's, There's cause and effect, but it's covenantal cause and effect, right? And you can read the blessings. You can read the cursings. Things aren't random. Right? Things aren't random. This is why, ultimately, why I believe the future is bright. Because, the, because history is personal. And, and it's covenantal. And there's promises involved. And Jesus is on the throne. You put all that together, I'm thinking, why would we think things are going to go worse? Jesus is on the throne. I mean, have some faith, right? So, <clears throat> all of that. That's good stuff. Let's get into verse... That was verse 1. Wow, okay. All right. So, the heavens... Um, the heavens, there's three heavens, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. The first heaven is the one closest to us. That's the blue sky or the atmosphere. That one is created on day two, okay? But this word heavens here is referring to probably the second and third heavens, okay? The second heavens, anyone know? So first is the sky, and then what? the second one is space, that's right, the universe, where God put planets in, okay? And uh, scientists are just now learning what's out there. It's a, it's a thing. It's not just nothing. It's, it's something, right? There's the, there's the heavens, the firmament, you know, then there's the uh, space, and then there's the third heaven where angels live. Um, and all of these heavens are... And this is going to be hard. You're going to have to get, catch this. Created um, images uh, of ultimate heaven, okay? The presence of God. So um, everything that he creates in some way is imaging him. You understand? How do we know this? Romans chapter 1. The invisible attributes of God are made manifest and are clearly seen through the things which are made. So when the things that are made are pictures and a picture tells a thousand words there it's a book it's a message it's a revelation it's an image it's a display board of him and the heavens are a a display right think about in our own atmosphere there's a sun there's a moon there's the constellations do those tell stories do those communicate the ancients knew the language right how about a rainbow See, it's like his image board, and then he makes messages on it. The ancients, even some believe that ancient Christians understood more carefully how the constellations communicated to us, right? If you really want to learn about that, you know, go to the Tower of Babel. Very interesting. So he creates these heavens. This particular heavens he's talking about is probably the second and third heavens because he, uh, the, the first heavens, the blue sky, is created in a few verses. Right? So he kind of creates this, this uh, display board, right? But later he's going to put things in it, okay? So, no, it's not flat. 
<laughs> Thank you, Tim. That's awesome. You can get Pastor Omar in here to really, uh, really help us. And then it says, then it says, um, he also has the heavens and he creates the earth, okay, in the heavens. And then it says the earth itself. Now, what is the earth? The earth is the land. Biblical scholars, the earth, the land, same word, is what? It eventually turns into, in, in biblical imagery, to the, to the promised land. And then that imagery goes on further and further to the earth that the meek shall inherit, the land, right? All of those things. And then in the very end, there's no sea, okay? It's very interesting. This stuff begins, uh, uh, every single one of these words begins a, a long 66-book um, story. Now, this is real stuff right here. This is real. This is really talking about planet Earth, okay? Um, but this land idea becomes imagery throughout all the Bible, okay? Very interesting. So the earth was without form and void. And uh, what does that mean? Uninhabited, um, immature. It does not mean chaos, okay? Uh, we know that it doesn't mean chaos because later we know that there's the earth, there's the waters that cover the earth, and then there's land under the waters that comes up out of the, the, out of the water, and that between that water and the other water, there's the sky. So this is not chaos, this is order. This is perfect order. It's not mature yet, okay? It's not yet formed into what it will be, but it begins. The, there is a earth. There is the abode of man, and it is immature, all right? It has not yet been molded, okay? And there's darkness. So darkness is created. I mean, darkness didn't exist. Darkness is created, and darkness was over the face of the waters, or over the face of the deep. So you have this earth. It's covered in waters, the deep. And it's surrounded by space, the heavens. Okay? And in that moment, this darkness, with this watery earth, the Spirit of God is seen hovering over the waters. Okay? Now, what, now, if you look up the Hebrew, it's, the, it's what birds do when they flutter. So when I read this, I'm always thinking of the dove that hovered over Jesus, right? Um, or the Shekinah glory cloud, which hovered over Israel as it formed Israel into a people. It's the same word, okay? So fascinating stuff. Listen to Isaiah 45, 7. God says, I form light and create darkness. Isn't that strange? You wouldn't think that darkness is created. Because we think of darkness as a nothing. We think of space as nothing. It's absent of light. But, even, but we're starting to learn that it, there's actually some sort of something there. Right? Um, the Spirit is hovering. Hmm. Just as it hovered over Jesus at the dawning of the new creation. And what does the Spirit begin? It begins these six days of molding and shaping and forming. Isn't that beautiful? I think so. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky, okay, that's the same thing, it's the heavens and the earth, fled away, 
and there was no place was found for them. Think about this. Okay, so in Revelation, we, we see the true heaven with, with God on the throne. Can y'all follow me? Y'all can hear me? All right. And then there's the heavens and the earth, and they can't be next to him. It flies away from him. There's no place for them to escape in the book of Revelation. So how do we solve this? There has to be a, a veil. And what is the veil? So you got God on the throne. What is God? God is, God is let me see, Psalm 104.2. He wraps himself with light. Right? When he appears in Israel, he's the Shekinah cloud. And you know the cloud during the day was like it had a, a pulsating light inside of it. And at night it was like a fiery furnace. God is light. Can any man look upon the glory of God and live? When Moses saw God, what happened? His face shined radiant. And he only saw a part of him. So we have this radiant, emerald-like throne room, and heaven and earth are fleeing from it. There needs to be a veil of some sort. The creation can't handle the glory of the creator, and so he creates darkness. There's space. I really do think this, that space really is, it is a veil. It is a, a way of pro, like basically protecting us from the glory of God. Now, is, God is light, the Bible says. Is it literal light? No, I think light is an image. Some sort of created image of, of his glory. Some way for us to understand his glory. And so we have this, this heavens and earth that can't be in his presence, fleeing from him. He creates darkness and the watery. And then the Spirit of God is sent. And the Spirit of God, as Psalm 104 says, is wrapped in light. And it hovers over the water. So you can see kind of a mental picture. Can you see that? Like you have space, darkness, Dark earth, water, and then God coming, sending his spirit down, hovering. So it's just like the spirit, the, the dove piercing the sky and coming upon Jesus, or the tongues of fire coming upon them, right? Or uh, the Shekinah cloud, which is above the earth, coming down to rain blessings. It's like he sends the spirit down through the darkness, from the heavens of heavens to the earth, and it pierces the darkness, and what's the first thing that happens? The next verse, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. What a, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, this is it, right? Sorry, evolutionists. I'm not a monkey. We have, like, we have, better, we have better things to believe. Now, in verse 3, we see that it's God saying, let there be light. So if God said, who's that? Who's the word of God? It's the second person of the, of the Trinity. Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, the Word, the said, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him, and there is nothing which has not been created by Him. This is the second person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God is involved. He's hovering like a mother bird. It's the same, it's the same picture as later. He's beginning to form the earth, and God says, let there be light, right? And there's light. Where does this light come from? There's no sun, where does it come from? It's God. It's, so, it's some sort of created image of God that emanates from God. Right? Can God create light just without a sun? Yeah, he did. In the plagues of Egypt, he put all the Egyptians in total darkness, and he shined light in all the Israelites' homes. He did that. Right? When they were going out to the Red Sea, he shined light for them and put the Egyptians in, in darkness. Sure he can, right? We know in the, in the final stage of human history, in the new creation, 
There's no need for a son because Jesus is the light thereof, right? And God saw this creation, and he said that it was good. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. This is a judgment. There's always a creation, and then there's a judgment of the creation, and he judges it as good. And then he separates the light from the darkness. So is darkness bad? It doesn't say it's bad, right? It's not as good as light, but there's a separation there. And I think that's important because, as we're going to see in a second. So if, um, verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That's day one, okay? So what does it mean when you call it, when you name something? Why, you, you get to name your own kids, right? Authority. Authority. It's yours, right? yeah. Um, you get to name your own pet, Right? Um, Adam named the animals. Adam didn't name God, right? God communicated his name, Yahweh, right? But Adam named. Naming is the first step of dominion. It has authority, and it's exercising of authority. But what does God name? He names the light and the darkness. Isn't that interesting? And he separates the light from the darkness. What we come to understand is the beginning of day and night. So... Later in the Bible, it says that God is the one who establishes times and seasons and months and years, right? That's, God establishes from the very beginning of time. He creates time. He sends his light into the earth, and he creates ca- the calendar, just like that. In the book of Daniel, the fourth beast tries to change the seasons and the times. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Who's the fourth beast? That's Rome. And when did we go from a lunar to a solar calendar? Rome. It's been like that ever since, right? But, uh, so maybe one day we'll change that back. But God establishes it. God has dominion over it. He separates it. He calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. That's day one. So let's, real quick though, um, when it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, do you get the impression of millions and billions of years? No. If a child were to read this, what would it think? Well, it's a day. It's a day. That's right. But how can you have a day? There's no sun. Right? Do you need the sun to have a day? No. What is a, what is a day? A day is just the earth turning on its axis. Right? That's all it is. Uh, the year is the earth going around the sun. Right? The earth turning on its axis is a day. So it begins right there. And we know it's a day because in verse 14 it says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let there be a sun to separate billions of years from the night. What does that mean? Like, the word day means day. There's no other meaning for it. And let them, the sun and the moon, be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and for billions of years and years. It makes no sense. The word day means day. I can't imagine why anyone would try to stretch that into something else. He rests on the seventh day, and we've been having the Sabbath ever since. Right? It means day. Right? I think y'all are probably familiar with that. But now, let's just step out and look at the whole Bible from this. What is light dawning? What does it mean? The morning star, the sun rising. Right? The darkness cannot uh, hide it. The light of the world, the, the light of God has come into the world and the darkness cannot uh, withhold it. 
What is the imagery that this, this creation event eventually spawns for all of mankind is the image of what? Jesus coming, being sent, the light of this world, and not just coming, but shining on all men. So this, you have right out of the gate, you have eschatology. You have this idea of things begin in darkness, but then they dawn, then they, they get better. The darkness is not bad, right? The darkness has a moon, right? It's not total darkness. It's okay, right? But then, it, but then you have light dawning. And so the whole day itself, where it starts in darkness, the sun comes up, and then all is illuminated, and man goes about his work, and then at the end of the day he says it is good, is a picture of human history. That's another reason why. I'm a, I'm a, what's it called when you're really positive about a stock? I'm bullish. I'm bullish about the future. And the sun, the, we're just about like 10 a.m. All right, just wait. It's getting good. All right. All right. <clears throat> Five more minutes. Five more minutes. Verse six. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Uh, the expanse is also translated firmament. firmament. It's, uh, it's the blue sky. That's what it's referring to. So there's waters, and then there's the blue sky, and the blue sky separates the waters from the waters. So what's that? So is it clouds? So some people say, yes, yeah, clouds, water vapor. But it doesn't say the waters in the firmament. It says the waters above the firmament using the same word it uses for birds that fly above the earth. So you have the waters, and then you have the sky, the heaven, the blue sky, the firmament, and then you have the waters above. Yeah, it's, it's, why people believe, uh, it's why people believe in the canopy theory, if you've heard of that before. People believe that before the flood, there was waters up there. In vapor form? I don't know. Whatever, right? I don't know. But there was some sort of water up there, and in the flood, it all fell down, right? <laughs> that checks out, right? It was there. It's not there now. That's why all those ideas where we talk about that, it comes from this, though. That's where people get it, right? It's the canopy. And so that's why people think there was, a, there was dew, Right? Uh, the Bible says. That's why people think that the atmosphere and the climate was different, right? You didn't have maybe some of the more harsh extremes that we, we know of today, right? And God made the expanse, that's the blue sky, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. He always is doing this. He's creating. Then he's molding and shaping and maturing. Then he's stepping back and saying, it is good. It's over and over again. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. That's what we call the sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Right? And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. So now dry land is emerging. Right? It was under already. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. What does the earth and the sea become imagery for later in the Bible? Jews and the Gentiles, beasts from the sea, beasts from the earth. The sea is suppressed by God, 
later in the Bible, the rebellion of nations and the rebellions of the devil um, be, is used as imagery as the water's billows. You know all the songs we sing about waters and oceans and the billows rolling over me um, and immersing me? That's all judgment language. The water in, is creation, and in decreation, the water comes back over you. In the flood, the waters fall and everyone's immersed, right? Um, that Peter called it a baptism. Um, same thing with the Red Sea, the waters coming over. That's why in the book of Revelation it says there'll be no sea because it's the idea of rebellion and sin and there will no longer be that. Right? Even the sea creatures that swam in the ocean, there was real sea creatures. But later in the Bible, those sea creatures are pictured like the devil um, rebelling against God's creation order. They're down in the waters. They're in the chaos, in the abyss, you know, down where hell is. So it's all, you got to get this Hebrew cosmology. It's different than the way, than the way we think. I hope that makes sense. Um, I want to get to uh, the dinosaurs before we leave, you know. How much time? I only got a couple more minutes. All right. <clears throat> got to get to the dinosaurs, right? All right. Verse 11 through uh, 13. You can read that later. Plants. And they all have seeds. It says seeds like over and over and over again. Vegetation with seeds. And they produce seeds. And the, you have this picture of the earth just being covered by, by plants. Pro- reproducing after their own kind. So, and... This is a chiasm, by the way. I've taught you all this in Sunday school. Guess what the other side of this chiasm is with vegetation and seed? It's man. Man and babies. That's right. Be fruitful and multiply. And the picture is that vegetation's covering the earth, and so is man with his seed covering all of the earth. But because there's a fall, the thorns come out. And because there's a fall, there's now what the Bible calls thorny men or bramble men or men that are judged like thorns. Cain is the first one. So it's all this imagery. There's real plants, but it's establishing for us biblical imagery that we still, we still talk about today. All right? Um, <clears throat> then day four, you got the sun, the moon, the constellations all established. They begin to communicate and reveal God's glory. And then in verse 21, and we'll stop with this, God creates the dinosaurs. You know, we've got to get to this, right? Verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures. But notice all these paragraphs is going from the, the sky above, the earth, the land, the waters. That psalm that covers all those, those same exact areas. It's a song of dominion. It's a song of praise. The reason why people think this is dinosaurs is, first of all, there's the great right there, sea creatures. But the word created is only used... Three times. There's, a, there's another word for creating, just your normal everyday creating, like vegetation. But when he creates the heavens and the earth, it's bara. It's like a, it's like a miraculous wonder. Like, look at this one. All right, I got my plants over here, but check this out. Right? And it's used for heavens and earth, and it's used for man, and it's used for dinosaurs. That's those three. Those three right there, the great sea creatures... Man and the heavens and earth are barah. And they're like miraculous, wondrous works. And I think that fits, you know. Imagine a, a behemoth walking around here. Y'all know behemoth from the book of Job, right? A hippo, they say. It says its, t- its tail is like a cedar tree that's when it swings. And people say it's like a hippo. I was like, you ever seen a hippo tail? Come on, you know. It's like a little, like a little piggy. It's like a little curly cue. <laughs> no, but Job mentions behemoth. He mentions Leviathan. 
You know, look, at the, look up the word when uh, Moses and Aaron, when the rod is cast down, look, and the, the Egyptians, they do their little snakes, and then he throws his down. It's not the word snake. It's a different word. What was that? And then it ate all of the snakes. So a snake-related object. A little dinosaur. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. That's a dinosaur. Now, skeptics, of course, are not going not gonna to believe any of this. Because honestly, if you want to sleep with who you want to sleep with, then forget, you know, there's, forget about it. There's no dinosaurs, okay? Um, but, uh, but Noah brought little dinosaurs on the ark. There's dinosaurs mentioned in Job. Uh, there's Rahab, there's Leviathan, and there's Behemoth. And you can read their descriptions in Job chapter 40 and 41. You can literally read the descriptions. Scales like armor, breathes fire, makes the waters boil, has a tail like a cedar tree, right? Brontosaurus and some sort of dragon sea creature monster, right? There's a, there's, it's in there. And their bones are everywhere. How is this so hard? Their bones are everywhere. Like, it's only hard because we have some, like, we just want to seem sophisticated, I guess. They're not. They're not. They've, they've recently found a, a stegosaurus up in, like, Michigan. It still has, like, stuff in its stomach. Right? So anyway, I told y'all, I'm a hayseed, I'm a hick, I'm a rube. Whatever the, the fancy, sophisticated, wise people of this world believe, I'm, I'm prone to just believe the opposite. Okay? I feel like I'm going to go to heaven and be like, God, all those liberals believe that? I just went the other way. And he's going to be like... My son, you are 99% accurate. (laughs) So we'll stop it there. All right, y'all have a good evening.